So if you have your um, Bibles in front of you at Luke chapter 1, that would be wonderful. Um, <clears throat> if you look at verse 46, you see Mary's response uh, to Elizabeth's um, blessing of her. Mary says, My heart is overflowing with praise of my Lord. My soul is full of joy in God my Saviour. For he has deigned to notice me. There is this wonderful outpouring, and often we, we move over it too swiftly, um, but it's the outpouring uh, of, of Mary's heart to her Saviour. And I wonder, as she was um, travelling, you remember last week I talked about her travelling that hundred mile journey from Nazareth uh, to the hill country of Judea where she met Elizabeth, and I mentioned last week that it was a four-day hard journey. I wonder if she had plenty of time, Mary, to reflect on God's gracious dealings with her, thinking about all the angel had said. And that four-day journey, often on journeys you have a chance to think about things, don't you? And uh, as a young Jewess, uh, she would have had her, she'd been brought up in the scriptures, she would have had her mind well stocked with Old Testament knowledge. And perhaps she thought back to Hannah in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah, on knowing that God had blessed her with a child, her heart was full of, of thanks to God. But Hannah's prayer was one of thankfulness to God for looking after his people against their enemies. But Mary's prayer is a poem of thankfulness for how God has graciously dealt with her. She says, My soul exalts. My heart is so thankful for God's faithfulness to all believers. Verse 50, she says this, The one who can do all things has done great things for me. Oh, holy is his name. She goes on to say, verse 54 to 55, uh, He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Yes, he has helped Israel, his child. He has remembered the mercy that he promised to our forefathers, to Abraham and his sons forevermore. So, you know, uh, she is remembering the great vastness of God's kindness. And she includes Israel, the land of Israel, and says, Lord, you've remembered us. You haven't forgotten us. You didn't forget Abraham or his sons. You are a faithful God. So I think this has been bubbling up in her heart on that four-day journey. She's full of joy. And she says... For he has deigned to notice me. That means he has humbled himself. He has come down to notice me, his humble servant. And after this, she says, all the people who ever shall be will call me the happiest woman on earth. And this is true. 2,000 years later, we would say, wow, the happiest woman to have born the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all true. But just pause for a moment. Let's just think just for a moment about the context 
in which this great poem of praise is given to God. Because I think that Mary has a lot to teach each one of us about faith and humility and being spiritually minded. And I think all of us will agree that we all need all the help we can get to be worshipful and to bless God and to be spiritually minded. We want to be like Mary with this extravagant outpouring, this poem of praise. She's very, very joyful. She's bursting at the seams, it seems. But how often does our praise look like that? How often are we extravagant in how we feel about God? Because in the culture that we live in, well, we're not a very expressive people, are we? We don't, we don't you know, really share our feelings. It has to be dragged out of us, most of us anyway. Uh, we're not obviously extravagant in our praise. But there are moments, there are moments in your life as a Christian when suddenly you see, as it were, the curtain opened and you see a glimpse of God's goodness and kindness to you in your life. You catch it and it strikes you and your response, you don't know how to respond, you, you, you feel joy but you also feel like you want to cry because you feel this overwhelming emotion. God is so kind and so good and so wise. That happens to us. And I think Mary's praise from her heart and soul is a moment like that when she has been caught with a glimpse of just how great God is. And the original uh, um, in, in, in the Greek, talks about heart and soul, and it means the vital breath, the very life element, the very who you are. You're breathing out this praise to God, extravagant praise. And Mary says, my heart is overflowing. Because the praise has come from deep within her. It's a deep, spirit-touching thing. And when we sing to God and pray to him and give thanks... <laughs> May our heart and soul be full of warmth towards him. Do you want to be warm towards God? Do you delight in him? Are you extravagant in expressing to him how you feel? Do you tell him how you feel? Good, good. I think it's, it's good when the moment comes upon you and you have that feeling of thankfulness Take a moment to say thank you. Because God is our Father. And a father loves to hear a child say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Because, you know, we can have passion in all things, many things in life. We can, we can have passion about our belongings. We can have passion about our family. And these are good things. But does your soul, does my soul, rejoice in the Lord primarily? Do you tell him how you feel? Because Mary's soul told the Lord how she felt. And her praise came from her heart. And it was spiritually minded. I say spiritually minded. What do I mean by that? 
Well, I've said it's, it's, a, it's, it's been a four-day journey. And she's been pondering on what the angel said. And she's beginning to grasp the enormity of what God has begun to do in her life. She's been chosen. She is Mary. She will be the mother of Jesus Christ, the mother of our Lord. Now you and I, we know how this story ends, because we have Bibles. We know the story of Jesus from the cradle, to the cross, to the grave. We know this. We know that after he was crucified and was in the tomb, he was resurrected. We know this. And now he is by the Father's side in heaven praying for us. This is told to us. But think about Mary. At the time that she sings this poem of praise, which Kate read to us, what did she know about the future? What did she know about what lay up ahead? Because, to be truthful, at the time of the praise, her situation was not good. She was a young unmarried teenager who had become pregnant. She lived in a little, in a, in, a, in, a, in a hill town of Nazareth and there were few people in that town or anybody that would understand what had happened to her. Her family would not understand. What had just happened to Mary had all the potential for a horrific scandal locally. There'd be lots of nasty local gossip, lots of cruel comments like people saying, and she was from such a good family. Oh, the shame of it. How must her parents feel? That is the context for Mary's extravagant praise to God. That is the reason I say that she was very spiritually Minded, because from a human point of view, situation couldn't have been worse for Mary. These were not favourable circumstances. People who had watched her grow up from a little child into a young teenager, when they got to hear about her pregnancy, would have shaken their heads in disgust. And we mustn't forget that there still existed the death penalty for adultery. Mary must have thought about that. And the hardest part for her was that she couldn't explain the truth of what had happened. She couldn't explain that no sin had taken place. There hadn't been adultery. There was no wrongdoing. But Joseph, her fiancé, even he didn't fully understand. Even he had to have an angel stop him from divorcing Mary. But instead of being a panicked teenager, we see Mary in a calm and measured way say this. And I love the translation. This is Philip's translation. I belong to the Lord, body and soul. Let it happen as you say. That is the spirit we see in Mary. Not panicked. I belong to the Lord. Let it be. As you say, that was her reply. I'm God's slave girl, is another rendition. I belong to the Lord. I trust that he is going to guide me along the right path. I don't know what lies up ahead, but I know this. 
His plans are good for me. They're not bad plans. They're not evil plans. They're, my life will turn out well, although I cannot see up ahead. <clears throat> and yes, if I'm honest, as a young Jewish girl, I'm, I'm fearful for my reputation. My reputation is likely to be in tatters as a result of this. But Lord, I humbly submit my life and soul into your hands. I know that in your hands it will turn out for good, although at the moment it seems very complicated. Somehow, Sovereign Lord, even in this potentially scandalous situation, you will bring me peace. You're going to work it out, Lord. You will be glorified. And not only will you look after me, but I know you will look after my son, your holy son, whom I carry in my womb. That is the spiritual mind of Mary. She doesn't grumble or complain. She doesn't say, Lord, I don't mind doing this, but what I want you to do is to send an angel to all the nobility in Nazareth and tell them the truth. Humbly she says, Lord, I trust you and my soul magnifies you. And I think this is a beautiful picture of Mary. She says, not my will be done, but yours, Father. I trust you. You are my saviour. And I think that what we can learn from this, friends, I think the truth that comes through to us is this, that we can praise God in all circumstances, even when everything seems to be going very wrong, when all around seems dark and deadly, as it was with Mary, and we cannot see the full picture of what lies up ahead. We don't know the end of the story. Mary didn't know the end of the story at this point, but, but she trusted him. And we can trust him. Trust that, yes, he made the whole world. And the whole world is in his hands. And therefore my life is in his hands. And his plans are good plans, not bad plans. And I want to say this. In this fellowship here, and for those that, that aren't here, I hope they can hear this on the message. We have many wonderful examples here of people of faith who have this spirit in them. Saints here who have suffered bereavement, who have lost loved ones, and yet your faith remains intact and strong. There are saints here, I'm looking at you, who are currently undergoing medical treatment, and it's a serious business, and you don't know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. And we, brothers and sisters, looking on at you, we see how you live your life. We see how you live your faith. And it makes us stronger. Because we know some of the tribulations that you're experiencing. And yet you remain faithful. Your saintly strength, and I wanted to say this to you, remains faithful and you continue to praise God despite your circumstances even with old age creeping on. And when I see this faith, when we see this faith, it encourages us to want to be like you when we face tribulations. It makes us want to praise God and say, thank you, Lord, that in especially hard times, the times when it really counts, there are people 
that praise you. And you may be experiencing chronic pain at the moment. Even with the pain relief that's been offered to you, still you're in pain. And yet you remain faithful to God. You have not said, I am finished with this faith business. You have not said, well, God has let me down. Therefore, I'm not going to worship him anymore. You've not said any of that. You're here. You have said, God promised to be with me close by my side. And as I go through the furnace, as I go through the stormy waters, as the waves rise up, I will continue to hold on as he holds me. And as we see that, we see you magnify him with your heart and soul. And at last Sunday's candlelight service, when I looked around, and that was a lovely service, I knew that many had made the effort to come, even after such a wretched pandemic year. Yet you continue to worship God. Your faith remains strong. And perhaps like Mary, you say, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I think actually the truth be told, faith is stronger. It's not just hanging on. During the easy times of life, when it's easy, we can all say we love God. But it's when the storms come. It's when you're in that hospital and you're not sure what's coming up. It's when you can't see family and you're struggling and it seems to be one thing after the other. And then you say, I love and trust God. Then you say, I will be worshipping him. That is the true measure of spiritual strength. And I see it in this church. You know that God is wise. You know that God is good. You know that he is working his purposes out. And that his plans are best for us. And that is exactly what Mary the teenager was saying in her praise. I know God, you're going to work this out. Somehow. And during this year it has been difficult, but... I think God is teaching us that we've got to be content even in the midst of the constraints and difficulties and trust him, especially to 2021 because, friends, this pandemic isn't over yet. The vaccines are going to take time to be distributed and administered. We need to face up to that fact. Herd immunity is still some time off and the national and international economic crisis is deepening. It will take time to get back to anything like normal. It's not a smooth path. But as Christians, as people of faith, we must continue to trust God even so. All the more. And we must pray for our world. And pray that the world will be a humbler place. And perhaps many will turn to God. Because the pandemic has even impacted church fellowships around the country. Many have not been able to meet together like we are privileged to do because of the social distancing. Many churches closed in March this year and they're not going to open up again possibly to this next March in 2021. That is very, very hard and testing. Some say it's been a sifting time, just as wheat is sifted from the chaff. For those who come to church just for social reasons, when it was convenient, they perhaps have stopped coming to church now. But this crisis has brought home to all of us who know and love the Lord 
that we do want to be with our brothers and sisters worshipping him. And I see that in church community. And maybe in time to come, we will value this even more than we ever did. And like Mary, we want to delight in God despite the circumstances. And I want to finish with this. There are good reasons why Mary praises God. Many reasons, but perhaps the most wonderful reason we find in verse 48 49. Let me just read it to you. Verse 48 and 49. My soul is full of joy in God my Saviour, for he has deigned to notice me, his humble servant, and after this all the people who ever shall be will call me the happiest of women. And I think that's a very important point. She says, my Saviour. Because, you know, in Catholic teaching, Mary is exalted to the position of Queen of Heaven. She is the one that intercedes between us and God. But here we see quite clearly stated that she recognises that she needs a Saviour. God, my Saviour, she says. She recognises that she is a sinner, just like the rest of us. And we all need a Saviour. And she recognises her humble estate. And she says, in effect, Lord, I'm a nobody. And yet, you have deigned to show your grace to me. Such grace. And so she praises God for God's grace. And surely that should be our attitude. The main part of our praise is this. That we recognise if Mary needs a saviour, how much do we need a saviour? Mary was chosen to be the mother of God. If she, chosen to be the mother of God, needed to say, I need a saviour, then how much more do we? Because we can't earn salvation through church attendance, or praying, or giving, or currying favour with God. It's all of grace. And Mary reminds us of that. God is my saviour. She was going to be the son of God, uh, the mother of the Son of God. So she could have boasted, well, surely I can curry favour with God. But no, she doesn't. She says, God is my saviour. And I pray this, and I'm sure that I can echo, you could echo this prayer. I hope to my dying day that I will trust in nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. Mary praises God for what he has done that somehow he has condensed himself by his power into baby Jesus. Somehow Jesus, who brought life to the whole universe, is condensed to an embryo in her womb. Christ, the very incarnation of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 says, In him the fullness, the full nature of God chose to dwell bodily. God chose to dwell. I, I cannot explain that. None of us can. That how God could be. In Mary. But it, it happened. And no wonder Mary rises in her heart with a crescendo of praise. God is my saviour. Great things he has done for me. And later in the story we know that he lays the God of glory in the manger. The God of glory is wrapped in swaddling clothes by his mother. And the God of glory dwells with us. His name Emmanuel. Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim thronged the air. 
but his mother only, in her maiden bliss, worshipped the beloved with a kiss. So let's determine, friends, in 2021, which is coming up very soon, that whatever we face, whatever lies ahead, we will encourage each other, we will strengthen each other, and we will determine to worship him. Because what other religion has a truth that we have? What other religion does God become a man? What other religion has the cross as its main symbol, reminding us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him? Give my heart.